0: to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth on those on whom his favor rests. That's Luke 2, verse 14, friends. Amen. Who else already has at least some, maybe all, of their Christmas decorations up? All right. All right. I see there are a few other people. Yeah, our, our Black Friday tradition in the Walsh household, rather than going out and doing the shopping, which It's also kind of fun, uh, is making the house prepared for Christmas, getting all the Christmas decorations up. We like to do it that, that black Friday, right? The day after Thanksgiving, because we like decorating for fall also, and kind of letting fall run its full course, getting through to Thanksgiving. But you know what the day after that it's Christmas season in the Walsh household, it's time to get the the decorations up this week. We're going to go out and get our tree. Uh, it's time to get ready for Christmas. It's not quite the Christmas season yet, though, is it? It's not in the church yet the Christmas season. And I know we've got the Christmas tree there, and we're going to decorate it after worship today, but we're not in the season of Christmas yet. I mentioned a couple times already, we are in Advent. We're preparing for Christmas. Advent is this neat season, right? It's the season where the, the, the themes of our worship, the readings, the songs that we sing, all kind of mount us up towards Christmas. It's this season of this barely contained excitement that we finally just get to burst out in celebration on, on Christmas itself. Advent is a neat season. The readings from scripture that we use during this season of Advent traditionally are for me personally, as a preacher, one of my favorite parts of the season, right? These readings just such Beautiful ways to point us ahead to Jesus and to mount our our anticipation, our excitement for him. The sermon text today, our gospel reading, Luke 19, is that, that reading where Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. What a neat reading to consider as we celebrate Christmas, right? our preparation for Christmas. Because even though this event takes place 33 years after that first Christmas, there's this idea here of Preparation for Jesus. It points us ahead to why Jesus was born at Christmas, right? That week that begins with Palm Sunday was the chief aim of his life here on earth. This week, where beginning with his ride into Jerusalem on that donkey's colt, crescendoing with his death on Friday, and then gloriously resolving with his exit from the tomb on Easter Sunday, this is what Jesus came to do. This is the point of Christmas. For Jesus to come to be born to do this. We look ahead to all of that with this reading on this first Sunday in Advent. This reading tells us a lot about Jesus, about who he is, about what his mission was, how he carried it out. And as we continue in the Advent season, as I mentioned, we're going to uh, have a a series where we're looking at the readings that are selected for the gospel reading during Advent. And we're going to hear these readings doing something similar each time they tell us about jesus this king whose birth we're looking forward to celebrating these readings are going to explain him to us they're going to prepare us for celebrating him and this first sunday in advent we find this theme explained to us in luke's gospel chapter 19 jesus intends to be known there's not a whole lot of subtlety to what happens here on Palm Sunday, is there? Jesus isn't being shy today. He makes a a splash. He intends to be known. He's arriving with a crowd of other people, right, as he comes to Jerusalem. That's not particularly odd. This is at the Passover time. The Passover was a pilgrim festival. You were supposed to come to Jerusalem and celebrate. So, of course, there are other pilgrims. Jesus himself is a pilgrim headed to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. But Jesus as opposed to the other pilgrims with him, intends to do more in Jerusalem that week, right? And again, we've talked about that. We know what that is. Jesus intends to die there at this time when all around Jerusalem, lambs are being slain for the Passover meal. Jesus intends to die at this time in that particular place during this festival in Jerusalem to proclaim that he's the true offering God's going to receive, to show that he's the offering to which all those lambs over all those centuries, ever since Egypt, have been pointing. But Jesus doesn't just fall in with the other pilgrims, right? He intends to be known. And so verse 29 tells us that he sends two of his disciples ahead to one of the villages on the approach to Jerusalem. And there, what he tells them they're going to do is take a donkey's colt that belongs to a stranger, that someone that they have not met and take it to Jesus for him to ride into Jerusalem. So the disciples go and do that. And of course, as you might expect, the owners are interested in knowing exactly what these guys walk into their front yard and taking their donkey intend to do with the donkey. Jesus has given them an answer for that. Verse 31, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. I have to imagine that the owners, after hearing that, let the donkey go, but then tagged along, right? Not necessarily because they thought that the donkey was going to be stolen, right? They wanted to make sure that things were going to happen. I don't think Luke indicates that uh, if they tagged along, which again, I just think had to have happened it's because they wanted to see what was going on. What? What is this? This is not subtle on Jesus' part. He intends to cause a stir. He intends, by the instructions he gives his disciples, to make a little bit of a scene, to get people talking about him. Jesus intends to be known through what happens on Palm Sunday. The disciples bring the colt to Jesus, they throw their cloaks onto it. He rides this donkey's colt into Jerusalem. I want to point out something for you about Jesus' choice of steed here. I think sometimes when we hear, when we talk about Palm Sunday and Jesus riding in on the donkey, Uh, we look at that as this sign of his humility, right? He didn't choose a war horse, a big charger stallion. He didn't choose a, uh, a chariot, right? With heralds running ahead with trumpets. Instead, Jesus comes in on a donkey. And so kind of a traditional interpretation of what's happening here goes, Jesus is being deliberately humble and meek as he rides into Jerusalem. Now there's an element of truth to that. There is an element of humility and meekness going on in what Jesus does, but there's something missing if that's all you understand as to what's happening on Palm Sunday. Let me explain. The Old Testament kings of Israel often rode donkeys as their steeds. Horses were not typical mounts for them. Let me point you to a couple of scriptures in the Old Testament that show this. So you've got Absalom. If you know the Old Testament history there, Absalom, King David's son who wanted the throne, rebelled against David. He was known for riding a mule. And in the final battle of his rebellion, if you remember how he dies, he's riding his mule in battle. He's got very long hair, which he's also known for, gets tangled in a tree. He must have been riding through a thicket and he's pulled off his mule and left there hanging in the tree. And that's where David's men kill him, riding a mule as he rebels and intends to become king. A couple of chapters before that, at the beginning of the rebellion, when David hears about his son's intended coup d'etat. He flees Jerusalem with his whole household. One of his allies sends him a donkey train that he can use to make his escape that's also loaded up with supplies. Later in David's reign, when it's time for him to turn over the kingdom to Solomon, part of the coronation ceremonies, this is from uh, 1 Kings, 1, Kings chapter 1. Solomon crowned as king, anointed, and then seated on, guess what? David's personal mule go back a little further from the time of the kings into the time of the judges, and there's a minor judge, Abdon, son of Hillel. And if you guys don't know this one, I won't blame you for it. He's a pretty minor figure. But the one thing that's noted about him is that he had, aiding him in his leadership of Israel, 40 sons and 30 grandsons, who, Judges 12 verse 30 notes for us, rode on 70, guess what, donkeys. What's my point with all these Old Testament scriptures that I'm pulling in for you? There is a humility being expressed by Jesus here on Palm Sunday, but it's the humility that belongs to a king of Israel. Jesus is proclaiming himself as a king. He's getting on a donkey and riding into Jerusalem, right? The kings of Israel were called to be humble and to lead humble lives, to lead the people humbly. And during the early years of the monarchy, they did that by riding donkeys So here's my point again. Jesus is riding a donkey to proclaim. Here's a king like David. Here is a king like the man whom God said was a man after his own heart. Here's a king like great David. A gentle king. A humble king. A warrior who fights for God's people and not for himself. Here is great David's greater son. Again, Palm Sunday is not primarily about subtlety and humility. It's about making Jesus known, Jesus making himself known. So great David's greater son comes riding into Jerusalem, the city David conquered on a donkey's colt. He's making this claim to be king. And the people understand this. Listen again to what it is they sing at him. Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now they're quoting Psalm 118 there, which is a psalm traditionally sung at the Passover festival. But the crowd's not quoting that psalm verbatim. Go ahead and read Psalm 118 at some point and look for the word king in that psalm. It's not there. The crowd inserts this title for Jesus as they sing Psalm 118 because they recognize what's going on. They recognize what he intends to communicate by riding this donkey in the capital, and they do exactly what Jesus wants because he intends to be known They start talking about him. They start singing about him. Jesus' opponents, the Pharisees, are unsettled by everything that's going on. They undoubtedly are unsettled by the fact that over the course of Jesus' ministry, they and Jesus have butted heads over their respective religious influence many times, and they do not want to see him hailed by the people like this. But there's another element of what's going on here they're afraid of what's going to happen because Jesus is claiming to be a king. The last time that somebody tried to set themselves up as king in Israel, the Romans started hacking off heads. The Romans rule Israel at this time. Undoubtedly, outside the city gates, there were some Roman legionaries standing there with swords and spears watching this all happen, maybe talking to one another. And the Pharisees are probably watching these guys and thinking, Jesus, you are going to turn this Passover festival into a massacre led by Roman legionaries if you let your crowd keep talking about you like this. So, verse 39 Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus isn't about to quiet anyone down. He intends to be known. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. One way or another, whether it's by the shout of the crowd or by giving a mouth to a rock, Jesus intends to be known on Palm Sunday. This morning's message is the first we're going to hear in this series of Advent sermons, and I'm calling this series, Tell Me About Your King. Uh, This holiday season, this is a time when there is a real opportunity to tell people about Jesus, right? It's natural. You're going to talk about holiday plans. What are you doing over the holidays? They might tell you what they're going to do. Tell them what you're going to do. Tell them about your plans to be in worship. Over this holiday season to attend church, to hear about Jesus, tell them about your plans to be caught up in this grand epic history of your salvation. Once again, as we begin this new annual cycle of rehearsing the life of Jesus in worship. Beautiful opportunity for us to share who our king is with people. And we need to be reminded of that as this text reminds us because we often fail to take those opportunities. And we can do so in some ways that look an awful lot like we're not missing an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. We do so in a lot of ways that really look like maybe we're telling people about Jesus. We carol, we sing Christmas songs, we decorate, and I love decorating. We post on Facebook about Christmas, we send Christmas cards. And all of that is good and excellent because all of it does what Jesus intended to do as he sent out his disciples to get that donkey and he gathered up the crowd and he entered Jerusalem dressed as a king, right? It sets him up to be made known. But if Jesus is never ultimately made known in all of that, it doesn't matter. If Jesus is never ultimately made known by us, what I mean by that is, if the gospel is never shared with a particular person, with someone real, a, a specific person to whom you're you're preaching, you're sharing the good news, then it doesn't matter if we set up a lot of Christmas decorations outside our houses for them to see as they drive by. It doesn't matter how much we post on Facebook about Christmas. It's all show, no substance. It only all matters when we get to what Jesus wanted to make sure happened that day on Palm Sunday. Him being proclaimed as savior king. His disciples hadn't done that on Palm Sunday. Again, Jesus said he was going to make rocks start doing it. But like I said to the kids, Jesus has never made a rock do that. His disciples do it. That's what Jesus' disciples, that's what we, his followers, naturally do. We proclaim him. We share his name. This is why Congregations gather around for preaching and teaching. It's not primarily a a thing about getting together in a community and enjoying a nice time together, right? Even though that does happen, and I enjoy spending time with you all. But Christians gather in worship because they know that Jesus will be proclaimed there. And Christians know that they need to gather around where Jesus is proclaimed because that is the bread of life, the gospel message, the good news about Jesus. And then when Christians, having gathered together, leave worship, Having fed on that bread of life, we know what we find. We've eaten and eaten our fill, and somehow there's still loaves left over, right? Jesus is still doing that same miracle, filling us up with bread and then sending us out to share more bread than we started with. Jesus is still able to do that miracle, still able to fill us up and send us out with something to share. And that's why Christians gather together in worship to receive something. They can then share. So let me wrap up this first message in our Advent sermon series this way. When you have that opportunity, this Christmas holiday season, to share Jesus with someone, be filled up right now with these words, these thoughts from our gospel reading, and share these with them. Jesus intends for people to know him. He's not content. For anyone to not know him, Jesus wants you to know him. I can tell you about him. Next week, we'll get back together. We'll talk more about who this king is that we're celebrating at Christmas, what we can tell people when we share Jesus with with them. But for now, just ponder that Palm Sunday truth and share it. Jesus intends to be known. And we're the ones who get to do it. Amen.